Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the podcast. It should go without saying I'm your host, Andrew Lewis. We've got a special edition today. It's a special post-match Thursday night footy. It's back, so we're recording this after the Port Adelaide Geelong game. For those of you who get your news from podcasts weeks after the event, Geelong have just won in Adelaide. They've won 17 goals, 10, 112 to Port Adelaide, 14 goals, 791. Joining me to discuss that end the AFL news bouncing around this week, and there is plenty of it, is my good friend and resident AFL expert, Cameron McDonald. How are you, Cameron? G'day, Panna. How are you going? I am well. I am well. It's 10.30. We're here. We're not taking any talk back, but this is the second time we've done this. Let's get into it after a match. So um, we, we will pay due respect to those who have gone before us, that is, of course, Mark Fine and the legendary SEN, Mark's, Mark's Finey's final, final siren. Um, <laughs> I don't get... Footyology is pretty low on my list of podcasts, and I'm not in the car much at the moment, So, and I don't get to the point... I think I've listened through one of those Footyology ones, so I don't know if I've got to one of Finey's rants. And I follow Rowan Connolly on Twitter, so I feel like I don't. I can read his rants instead. So, um, we, uh, so I don't know if anyone's doing that sort of thing, but, uh, it is, it is good to be here after a game. And, um, that was, it was some game of footy. It was a pretty entertaining game of football. There's a lot of people I imagine on, on the Twitter's first at the moment talking about, let's just have Thursday night football every week of the year. Let's have it when it's not football season. You know, it's going to be like that. Um, <laughs> It's got That's a habit of being good, doesn't it? Yeah. When they're like that, I mean, it's good that um, it, it's the ideal scenario for it. Port Adelaide Geelong, neither of them played last week. I think, I think once everyone has a deep breath, they'll realise Geelong just won after the bye for the first time since the 1940s. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, two well-rested teams on a Thursday night. And, you know, I've been going on about this uh, for a little while in various circles um, this is the reason why the AFL needs to abolish this, the buy at the end of the season, bring in everyone has two buys during the home and away season so they can play like 16 or 17 Thursday nights. You know, have two teams, two teams coming off the buy and then they play each other on the Thursday night. They get their own prime time. You get double the prime time games. So, you, you know, you're not going to have North Melbourne and St Kilda supporters complaining that they don't, well, St Kilda supporters can't complain about this year, but... North Melbourne supporters, they, they they can go from complaining about the fact that they, they're not on Friday night to complain about the fact they invented Friday night, and they sort of did, um, to being on Thursday nights or maybe on Friday nights after a Thursday night. I, I don't know, but um, I think it'd be good, and I think the next TV deal should probably talk about that in more detail. Because if, like get, get, if we get content, if we get the product like we did today, um, you know, strap it in my vein. That was just really good footy. Um, it was there was some mad? There were mad moments, weren't there? Like real, like they they both can play pretty good, uh, but there were moments where where both teams were just going hell for leather. And the beginning of the last quarter was sort of um the perfect example, I suppose, where it was two goals one way and then three or four the other. It was in the blink of an eye. Do you think that's what the AFL had? in their mind in terms of the absolute perfect scenario when they were implementing the 666 change that that first 10 minutes of that fourth quarter where it was just like okay 
there are no stoppages other than the bounce in the middle. The ball just goes up one end and there's three or four hand passes or three or four kicks and then one of the teams kicks a goal. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's wide open and it's so entertaining. Mm. Um, and it's 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 on the really good teams to halt momentum like that, um, which the Cats are also pretty strong at. You know, just making sure they win that next contest and slowing the footy down if need be. Um, but they just they just counterattacked. And no, talk- Jeremy Cameron's very handy. Yeah, I I, I uh, consulted my uh, resident children's television expert, uh, my wife Rose, and shout out to Rose. She won't be listening to this because she considers it uncool. But um, I wanted to know who uh, I was like. I asked her the question. From now on, Jeremy Cameron is he, he's Yellow Wiggle. He's the original. He looks like Greg, the original Yellow Wiggle. Um, he does. They are a phenomenally good team with him in. Um. That last goal he kicked, which was the result, I think it was, what was it? Um, I think the handball was, it was a centre clearance that Wines fumbled and then Selwood grabbed it. He handballed it to O'Connor, who handballed it to Dalhouse, who handballed it to Cameron. And I was just watching and I said, and Cameron, I just said, Cameron's going to kick this. He's not going to look at the goals. He is, I think we, I, I mean, this was, this was always likely to happen at some stage, but I think we forgot a little bit about how good Jeremy Cameron is. And he's now such a he's different in... player in that mix, isn't he? Like, I'll take I'll take the other goal, the one that um, halted momentum in the first place off the Hawkins tap, where Cameron doesn't break stride. Very few players in the AFL can kick that goal. His left foot is such a weapon off that clearance, and very few key forwards are anywhere near the 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 foot of the tap. So he, he's the complete package in terms yeah. of a goal kicking forward because he can do it both ways. At a he's remarkable, and very he's high perfect. level. He's the perfect like other tall player to have in that forward line with Tomahawk being there. Yeah, the and just bull. props to Hawkins for again, the, maybe the most improved part of his game over the last two or three years is those forward fifty ruck contests because that is just he's just like there you go, you just run onto that, protected yeah, the beat. space and 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 I think it was Dixon in the ruck with him at that stage, or it might have been Laddams, but they knew what was about to happen and they couldn't do anything about that tap. Yeah, Hawkins uh, beat Port Adelaide by himself from memory last year, um, with a with a really dominant key forward game on um, on Jonas. Where they, he, he really beat him up. They all, in my mind, melt into one greasy bar of soap game at Metricon Stadium. All those games last year, they're just like <laughs> it's just it's all the same. They could have been, they actually could be playing with two teams in in eighteen different jumpers, all just going around trying to pick up a ball that they can't <laughs> pick up off the ground because it's humid and it's a month. It's a Tuesday night in mid August. Um, <laughs> God bless them. Um, Geelong broke records tonight. They're the first team ever to play. Th- 10 30-year-olds in the same team. Yeah. (laughs) And they've just been a team that's been top four for a year and a half by four goals, probably hands and heels, going away. Um, I only really identified one weakness, and this was interesting because I'm a big rap for him as a footballer. And and maybe this is is an indication I'm right because Luke Darcy gave him a rap about the role he was doing. But Henry... And I saw this a few weeks ago when they played St Kilda. They rolled the dice with Henry on Max King, and 
I don't know if you could describe it as having worked uh, unless Henry is somehow able to make guys miss goals that they should kick. <laughs> but they had him on Dixon at times tonight. And Dixon, you know, got his, you know, did his job. Got, I think, kicked three or four. And, you know, you can't, it's not a game where you think of well, Charlie Dixon had a putrid game. But I, I just, it, 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 it will be interesting to see, especially now Richmond had talked, Toying with the idea of three tools in their forward line, you know, Rewalt has, you know, managed to get onto the rejuvenation train as a, a lot of forwards and key, you know, footballers have this year. Tom Lynch, when he comes back, and maybe one other key forward. Um, someone, you know, Geelong, are they going to play three key defenders? They're going to send Blixards back, um, or are they going to keep rolling the dice with Henry as an undersized key defender? So. Well, the, the ruck debate's always been interesting at Geelong because, you know, whether it's Stanley, whether it's Blitzarves, like, you know, I, I don't think they're who can play a key defensive role and they've got this unbelievable chop-out back. There's probably two of them, actually, because that's probably Henry's ideal role and then Tom Stewart is he's such a good footballer. Like, he's he's just, um, yeah, he, he marshals that back line just tremendously and, you know, chops out pretty well. Um, but having the luxury of a, an all-Australian fullback in Blitzarbs there when Reece Stanley's fit, if they choose to play him, I don't think they'll get monstered in a final in the back line. Um, I don't know if they're going to win the flag, but I, I don't know if I don't know if I see Jack Henry as a as a mighty weakness. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, they'll have some decisions to make at certain stages about how they line up. Um as I said, Blixars can play back. He, I mean, his great asset um, as a ruckman is his ability to sort of get up, get get in in front of the ball um, as a ruck. But then, you know, he can also play as a key defender. Radagalia is still not the finished product, um, but you could probably suggest Reece Stanley's still not the complete, you know, the finished product, and Reece Stanley be thirty. Um, they. Uh, it will be interesting to see how and they might just go with the hot hand. They might go with whoever's in form. They might go with whatever works in the last game, but they don't really have a clear, this guy is a Ruckman, Ruckman, and they haven't for a few years now. They sort of just lent into it. So That's right. And it has. Mm. I think it's cost them a couple of games. I think they didn't know what they were going to do in that um, qualifying final against um, the Pies a couple of years back. Um when they'd finished top of the ladder and had a fairly dominant home and away season. Um, and Blitzarves, having played uh, some pretty handy ruck footy, went to the wing in that in that qualifying final and they, they messed with their sort of winning habits and um, and got beaten. So, it, yeah, I'm sure. It was a classic overthink, wasn't it? They had, because of that, that buy between the last round of the season and the finals, they just classically overthought it. They had too long between the two games. Yeah, and just talk themselves into you know let's have another meeting about what we're going to do about Brody Grundy, um, and the only other thing that probably got discussed you know during the week was how the final should have been at skills it should have been in Geelong, yeah. and by the you know by stage and then Collingwood played forty minutes of football in that game, yeah, yeah that's and, it. and then shut and, it down, yeah, and then you know I don't think Collingwood kicked a goal in the second half but still won so um, <laughs> what a, what. A, what... Vera, we will get to Collingwood. Um, two things I want to mention about Port Adelaide, and then one thing more generally about tonight's game. Um, 
Did you know that Ollie Wines has never made an All-Australian squad? Uh, no. But I would say Ollie Wines is that he's always been thereabouts as a player we know could arrive. Very handy first couple of years. But then, you know, he used to get spoken about, because I think because he's a, a pick seven as well, there, there was a, a bit of chatter that, um, you know, he, he was a, a sort of a Selwood type in waiting. And we've just sort of, you know, whether it be a, um, you know, a freak accident out on the river or, or, you know, whatever that ends up like looking like. He's just, to me, he's never become that player. Then I heard somebody say in the, in the coverage tonight, and he was excellent tonight, that um, he's, he's got coaches votes in seven of the last nine games or something. So he'll be very close to the mark. Um, I, I think we year. sort of, we sort of undervalue, especially as a midfielder, how hard it is to get into an All-Australian team. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, mean, I remember growing up, you know, 91 is when the modern All-Australian team was born. And I think you had eight or nine elite midfielders in the league, in a 15-team league. And the really good teams might have had two of them. You know, someone like Carlton, who won premierships in the notice, they had Bradley and Williams. And even then, Williams wasn't, you know, by the time they won the flag, and I know he's best on ground in the grand final, they could have raffled that. Um, he, you know, it wasn't Pete Greg Williams. Um, you know, West Coast had Kemp and Matera, but um, you come to now and you think there are some really. Oh, has Ben Cunnington ever got near an All Australian team? You know, and he's oh, he he would have been a squad member. I'm, yeah, and he'd be at, he'd be yeah. he'd be at that wines level, which is you know really bloody good. Oh, you know, I absolutely wish he was on my team. That yeah, but mm. still not. Not Dusty, not Patrick Dangerfield, not Nat Fife, and how many spots have you got? You know, not Barkus Bontempelli. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so there's no, there's no shame in it. Wine's averaging 30 touches this year and looking every bit like an All-Australian. They didn't answer any questions tonight, Port Adelaide, though. That's the sort of game they've got to have if they're going to win a premiership. They've regressed. Uh, In our preseason. Um, chat. You had him number one from memory. Not necessarily winning the flag, but you had him number one. And uh, I, I thought there were things that that seemed to align for them this year, but I, I just I couldn't be sure. And it was after in the middle of last year because they had met so many challenges and they were excellent in the finals. And um, you know they 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 really did have a great year, but it. It, it looks to be a little bit one out of the box because they, they've only beaten one top eight team. Um, I saw just uh, a moment ago and we're far enough into the season that they should be, they should be flexing tonight. I said, to, I, I text you through the game and said, I changed my tip in the, in the lead up to the first bounce. It was sort of on a whim, just had a bit of a Geelong feel to it um, in the lead up to the game. Um, but yeah, you're right. They are right now and, and, and coming off, um, not playing, and they should have just, I think, thrown everything at it. Um, and they've they've just been outmuscled, as you say. Geelong have gone away hands and heels at the end, and you know it's hard to imagine them going too far uh, I, in the finals. I, I don't know if I necessarily would have tipped Geelong tonight, um, but I didn't trust Port Adelaide going into tonight, and I'm finding myself this season pretty much it's the this the. Here's the reason why I don't trust anyone's season. 
And some of those reasons are going to be historical and some of those reasons are going to be speculative and some of those reasons are going to be their St. Kilda. But, um, <laughs> but you just had a feeling, you know, Port Adelaide were taking a big step tonight. It was probably a game in the, you know, for again, it's just, it's silly when you when you when you've got two teams at exactly the same spot. They're in exactly the same spot in the ladder. They've won exactly the same number of games. The game was probably more important to Port Adelaide than Geelong, and there were certainly a couple of stages in the game where Geelong could have just sort of just you know collectively decided, well, not our night tonight. You know, a bit working against us in terms of oh, well, we've lost the momentum, and you know this you know this bloke kicked four goals in the first quarter or something like that, and uh, they didn't at all. Um. I think I think I think the reason why we're not trusting Geelong is is probably you know as much as it pains me to say is probably clutching at straws. It's it's you know as I said they had ten blokes aged over thirty tonight. I don't think any of them played a bad game tonight. Um, I, I don't I didn't see Higgins, and to be fair, they they might end up doing what they did with Jack Stephen last year, and he might end up not being in the team at the end of the season. Um, but Isaac Smith's very good. Um, Gary Rowan's playing the best footy of his career. Um, they've just, and, and I've got all the others. I mean, Henderson was good tonight. You know, there was a lot of talk about him being in career best form, but I don't know about that, but he doesn't have to do, he doesn't have to be a superstar. Um, I got a lot of good players. Talent. Talent counts for a bit, but they do play. They play a very reliable brand of football, and if they were wearing different jumpers tonight, they would have been recognisable as Geelong, even without three or four clearly milked high free kicks to Joel Selwood. <laughs> um, the other thing I want to mention tonight, which has nothing to do with the teams, Jason Bennett uh, commentated the game tonight for Channel Seven, and there's a lot of talk on the Twitter sphere mm. um, talking about. It was, it was wonderful contrast to what's been passing for commentary on Channel Seven so far this year in prime time. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see Bennett on there more often. I'd like him, I, I, you know, and I don't think there's much point in teaming him with James Brayshaw or Brian Taylor. So Luke Darcy's probably the right choice, or Hamish McLaughlin. But um, he was very good tonight, and be, and and more than that. Because he was good, then Joe Watson was good. Um, what Channel 7 are trying to do is something that, you know, has come over from America with what's happened in the NFL where the the, the main primetime calling teams and, the main, you know, you're trying to get in the casual fan. So I can understand that. Fox footy lean completely the other way with the games they cover. Um, you know, I wasn't paying any attention to their studio tonight because it was Derman. Eddie. So, you know, it's just like I listened to it, but whoever had five minutes into the halftime show into when the Tunnel Nightclub was mentioned. <laughs> um, but, you know, what what Fox Footy are doing with, particularly with Sat- Saturday Twilights, they te- they, they've got about four people they go to on, on those calls, especially if the game's in Melbourne. They like Hudson calling with Usually Dunstall and Rewalt. That's they a all, superb team. They That's all work together. Team. They're yeah. all they're all they all want to talk about footy. They all want to yeah. tell you something you don't know. 
Um, I thought Watson tonight got into those areas. There was a couple of things were just like, that's good. You know, telling me why it's really advantageous going to the forward line to change the angle, change direction, you know, reverse the field. Um, well, that sort of thing. Looking, if we're looking for a segue, I think arguably the, the best special comments, man, uh, that I've, that I've come across in the last 15 years, um, maybe coming back to special comments. <laughs> that guy was so good at special comments, Cameron McDonald, that Dennis committee congratulated him and thanked him with 30 seconds to go in the last game. He was commentating. <laughs> I just want to point it out was the Western Bulldogs and killed a 2009 preliminary final. There was a <laughs> bit going on. There was the game I described as the two and a half hour heart attack. Um, <laughs> It's Nathan Buckley, and um, for those of you living under a rock or people who took lockdown too literally, um, Nathan Buckley was announced he was leaving uh, his post as coach of Collingwood uh, this week. He'll coach the traditional Queen's birthday match between Melbourne and Collingwood at the non-traditional venue of the Sydney Cricket Ground this week in his last game and then uh, right off into the sunset. This was always how it was going to happen, Cameron. Buckley was always going to decide when it was time to leave because he was going to come. He was going to come to the conclusion that you know, this the best thing that could happen for Collingwood is that I stop being coach. He wasn't going to, you know, you're going to have to, you know, drag me kicking and screaming away from the position. He was always going to know when the best time to leave was. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think um, it's hard to. I, I mean, I. It's um, it's hard to talk about Nathan Buckley, uh, like without me referencing the fact that he genuinely always put um, there's uh, you know, there's countless examples, including the coach that uh, that he took over from, um, where at some point, uh, their own narrative becomes too important, um, and you know, Mick spent the first five years of of Bucks's tenure knifing the club whenever he whenever he could. Any any opportunity on any media outlet he just launched into Bucks and it was it was kind of uh awkward, I felt. And it kind of but it it had to have had some impact over Bucks's uh, tenure. Like it just feels like uh, actually a little bit, you know, my, my my overwhelming feeling is one of sadness, but it feels like um in part way, um, Bucks's coaching uh, career was was somewhat vexed, whether it be you know, you know, senior player revolt, lots and lots of injuries, um, or or finding lightning in a bottle through that twenty eighteen season out of nowhere and off the back of the last you know moment when potentially he could have um, chosen to leave in twenty seventeen and when he was shown some faith. Um, you know, and that that moment was just so brief. If you look at 2018 into 2019, um, and just that that moment where we a good feeling at the footy club was just so tiny um, and so fleeting, um, and so you know, and and that you know famously leads into um, the off season from hell, and it was going to be very difficult for Bucks to keep his job. Uh, the moment I knew was at the Gold Coast game at the MCG where we never really gave a yelp. 
And yeah, I, I thought it was going to be really difficult for Bucks to keep his job um, for too much longer. Um, but yeah, the overwhelming feeling is definitely sadness, punter. Now, to put it into some context, Buckley started arrived at Collingwood as a player when you were nine years old. Mm. Um, so is Buckley your favourite Collingwood footballer ever? No. Okay. But um, I, don't, I think plenty of people have this tendency, but I, but I don't tend to like the out-and-out best player. Fair enough. Um, at, at, that's, just, that's, just, um, that's just me, I think. But um, he's by far the best pull on the jumper. Um, the, one, of the, one of the best all-round footballers that, that I think I'll ever see you could play him in any position except the ruck, as evidenced by uh, the day that I, I I watched him play against Carey when Pagan was playing the paddock. Um, so it was Buckley versus Carey and one-on-ones at centre-half forward with no one else around him. Carey kicked one goal that day. And I was young uh, because um, Buckley was seemingly on, on track and favourite for the Brownlow. Um, and so... We didn't want him at centre-half back. We wanted him around the footy. But he beat Kerry. And I'm not saying he was a better footballer than Kerry, but just kind of shows you how incredible he was when he had a task to focus on. Um, yeah, comfortably the best Collingwood footballer I've seen. And I love Scott Pendlebury, but um, I, I sort of won't hear about it every time they, they try and say that Pendles is a better footballer than Bucks because Pendles is a pure midfielder and an elite one. Um, Bucks was uh, a Mr. Fix-It. I also saw him kick six goals against the Brisbane Lions one day, um, playing deep forward all night because we didn't have one. Um, remarkable footballer. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure you wanted a, um, his, um, his footballing days. but Well, yeah, I mean, I think he's, you know, his time at Collingwood is coming to an end and he hasn't mm. been in another club since you're right, there was a short period after he retired, which I don't think was a retirement he was entirely comfortable with. No. In terms of the timing, and you know his body failed him at the end of his career. Um, other than a two, a, a brief two-year period where he was a very good special comments man and, and also did some coaching at the Institute of Sport, he's been at Collingwood the whole time since that, you know, that wonderful uh, year in Brisbane where he won the very first Rising Star Award and, you know, I think we could all see what was going to happen then. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been at Collingwood the whole time. He's, you know, he's played in, and been head coach in grand finals and been an assistant coach in, in a premiership. So, um, you know, I think I think talking about Buckley the player is entirely appropriate when you're talking about this sort of this journey. Um, and you're right. Also, I guess the the legacy that he that he leaves on my own um, football watching time. You know, it's hard to remember a time before he played for my footy club, even though I've I've worn out a few VHS tapes of the 1990 grand final. I did that after the fact, you know, mm. it was, um, it was the premiership I could cling to while I was alive for a long, they weren't my magpies necessarily. Um, yeah, but you know, Buckley was, was certainly a hero there for a long time. Um, and he's replaced at least in the interim by, the St Kilda equivalent. Um, yeah, that's right. Robert Harvey, who's been you know, bouncing around for probably the best part of a decade looking for a senior gig and, and I think has run, come runner-up for the St Kilda job once or twice and now he gets his job for 
Eight games? Eight or nine games? Um, at Collingwood, one of which will be against the Saints uh, at a venue to be determined. Um, and surely he's up against it as far as keeping the job. I mean, the narrative aside of uh, like interim coaches uh, who most recently have, have um, failed pretty spectacularly um, when they've kept the job, I should say. They tend mm. to go pretty well um, through the continuation of the season they take over in. Um, but it um, it all it's fallen in a heap for some of them recently, um, notably Reece Shaw and, and David Teague. Um, but yeah, you know, putting that to one side, it, it, you know, it's pretty remarkable that um, with Robert Harvey there as St Kilda's favourite son um, and a dual Brownlow medalist and someone who wants to be coaching, uh, hasn't been able to win that St Kilda job. Um, he's probably up against it from multiple angles, you would think. Um, but Buckley couldn't have been kinder in um, his parting words, and he's been at Collingwood for a long time. Um, mm. Been working with Buck since 2012, so he's the right man for this job. Fair enough. Two more things to ask, um, which are neither easy. They're, they're difficult questions for different reasons. Um, would you have liked it if Buckley had discussed the do-better report in his final press conference? Um, I don't know about at his, but I suspect he has more to say on the matter. But he, he won't do it in front of the the sponsors drop the he's, sponsors he's, and 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 with the shirt on. He's a pretty remarkable. I, I you you do well to find a more capable diplomat uh, in the game since he sort of came onto the scene. Rarely puts a foot wrong. Rarely he didn't mean to say. Rarely misrepresents himself or the club, um, and so yeah, I think a bit to say about the do better report um, from his own personal, you know, like because that was the thing, you know, going back to going back to those uh, Malthouse days and the, the constant sniping. It felt like every media angle. Um, Bucks never, he, he, he was just like, yep, he's in the media. He's entitled to his opinion. Yep. 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 And you knew it must've been getting to him, but it's just not his style. Um, I, I suspect he's got a lot to say about the do better report and I think we'll hear it in time. Um, but it would have been a really hard thing. I think for him to, as someone who's shown a great propensity to do better, you know, like he had his detractors um, at Collingwood as a person when he was a footballer um, and then as a captain. Um, but all of those were removed by the time he retired. He, he got better constantly and he, and he became a better captain. And, and then he, you know, arguably was coaching before he was ready, but he became a better coach. And in 2017, he was instructed to stop trying to run the whole club and to, you know, to delegate better and to trust other people's opinions. And he did so. And he got better. Um, it's funny because I've never really thought about it like that. But he was at the club, what, 28 years? Mm. Um, for those, Other than those two years I described. And it was really only after a quarter of a century he got his honeymoon at Collingwood. 
because there was no honeymoon when he arrived as a player. There was huge expectation on him, and he was going into a team that was on the decline, and despite his efforts, continued to decline right up until the end of the 1990s. And no matter what you said about the last 12 months, it, it, nothing compares to the, 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 the gutter that Collingwood were in in 1999. Mm. Um, and then, you know, he finished his career. We always had his detractors, always had people who were, you know, and, and there, were, there were comparisons to other generational midfielders in James Hood and Michael Voss, um, one of whom I think Buckley was better than. Um, and I'll just, I'll leave it up to everybody else. <laughs> I think Cameron knows the, what, how, how I ranked them, but because um, we've had that discussion over many fermented vegetable products. Um, but it didn't really, the, the honeymoon never happened in his career. And then he came in to Collingwood under the circumstances in which he did with this handover that, you know, it was clear that, uh, D-grade poker player Mick Malthouse was unhappy with. But it wasn't really until the, the 2018 grand final that Buckley got his honeymoon at Collingwood where suddenly everyone was like, you know, you're great. You know, there's the, you know he was his highest approval rating across the entire football community and, and people mm. who watch footy was, after, was probably from the period of the 2018 grand final to the 2019 preliminary final. Because make no bones about it, Geelong, when, when Collingwood beat Geelong in that qualifying final, Collingwood were premiership favourites. Richmond had won one premiership and had a, a had an, a proper Achilles heel with Collingwood. Um, but then you lost that preliminary final to GWS. Now, and it, I mean, avoiding that performance from Richmond didn't do you didn't do Buckley or Collingwood any favours. And from then, it's been except for one incredible effort in Perth last year. It's sort of been a slow and steady descent mm. downhill from that, that game to this point. Um, yeah, that's right. So, but, but I, I, I do have to kind of acknowledge that there'd be plenty of people who, you know, would show their true colors at some stage for that 25 years that you're talking about. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's been remarkable through that journey um, and, and, and overly diplomatic and, um, you know, just kept it kept the um the drama at home he's never he's never um bothered to bring any of that into the Collingwood footy club and um so he's he's constantly been improving and so I think something as damning as a do better report would have would have really knocked him about and I, I I'd be he hasn't personally contacted some of the people who've spoken about um the pain that they felt through their journey um, as a result of systemic racism. I'd be surprised if, if Buckley the man um, doesn't try and repair some of that um, and to take responsibility, to take responsibility for some of that too. Um, I just, I just get the feeling that it would, it would cut him up privately. Fair enough. Short answer. The other question is who do you think will be coach at Collingwood next year? Or, tough one it, it it seems to it seems to be a pretty centric race um and i know that clarkson came out and said um that he's the coach of hawthorne and, and all that kind of gear but um graham wright is a pretty he's he's about the most positive thing happening at our footy club at the minute uh, I, the only reasons i feel like we'll be okay 
um, an excellent recruiting record at Hawthorne and, um, you know, was at that successful club through all that time, but was a great Collingwood player. Um, it, I, I feel safe in Riley's hands. Um, and you get the, you get the sense that some of the relationships he formed at Hawthorne will, um, will carry us into some of these discussions. Um, I think you've got to have a crack at Clarkson. And I think that, that even if we don't get him, I would be shocked if, um, Clarkson is coaching Hawthorne next year with Sam Mitchell as his assistant coach. Um, I think if you if you shake that tree hard enough, one of those one of those fellas will fall out, and that's that's a huge guess. But I, I think that's that's where the spotlight is is focused at the minute, and I think um, based on what I know of both of them, they'd both be pretty handy gets. Sam Mitchell would need support. Um, you know, in the form of a, a really genuine um, football director or, um, you know, you know, senior assistant coach, as we've seen work pretty well at, at, at various clubs. Um, and, and, you know, Clarko can have his pick of, of all the best uh, assistant coaches, I imagine. The possible high-level irony of Hawthorne implementing a staged handover from Clarkson to Mitchell, the premiership captain and golden, you know, and favourite son, because of the Collingwood job becoming available because Nathan Buckley, who became coach of Collingwood through exactly the same circumstances, um, would be, well, there, there, there's there's more than a standard level Robbo column in that. Put it that way. <laughs> there's also, there's also, uh, yeah, what am I trying to say here? There's, there's some. It's worked for Collingwood in the past, you know, um, to to get a a great Hawthorne champion and and um, pluck them loose to to coach Collingwood, mm. um, you know, and to and in in that uh, and on on that he's you know was proven to be a terrific career coach and um, you know, went beyond Collingwood to a great coaching career, but you know, one is flag at Collingwood in, in the meantime. So, um, yeah, that might be the Sam Mitchell option. And if I had to guess, it's between those two guys, but there's there's some candidates out there. The one that I was happy to see, because um, I've been in his corner for a little while, and I think he got asked about a pregame tonight, and he said, you know, he didn't rule it out. He was like, you know, I, I want to be a senior coach again. Was Matthew Knights. Um, there'd, be some, there'd be some experience he would have gained being at the you – know, following big boots and being in a big club, which is sort of restless for su- success. And I think he would have learned some lessons from being in that situation. But I also think that, you know, he was dispatched from that role reasonably unfairly. And to a certain extent, those chickens came home to roost um, for the club that dispatched him. So um, he's one of the guys I'd like to see get another chance because I don't think I don't think he's a bad coach from what from what from exposed form we saw in those three years of this and they weren't a bad team. Um and there's a there is a little bit of that. Like there's um Brett Rattons in a Matthew Knights or a um a Michael Voss even. You know, mm. some of these guys who, you know, potentially are great leaders of men and uh whose tenures were ended prematurely. But that's the coaching landscape. And to my mind it feels like the Collingwood job comes with that that extra level of scrutiny, uh, and is clearly 
you know, you're not going to come in and coach us to the 2022 um, premiership. So it, it suits a young coach with, with zero expectation uh, beyond perhaps that they uh, are going to get there, maybe as we get there. Uh, and that's the Sam Mitchell or, or someone who can, who's got enough of a reputation intact that they can cop to a, probably, yeah, probably two or three bad years. And so to my mind, you know, like, and there's still examples of that not working, like Malthouse's tenure at Carlton or, um, you know, or Pagan's <laughs> tenure at Carlton. They're, like, there are... There oh, are I'm in the school of thought that Pagan's 2004 season at Carlton is his greatest ever coaching achievement. So they won 10 games. They had no draft yeah. picks. <laughs> they were yeah. terrible. They they won ten games. Yeah, well, uh, the thing is, like every coach, time they got flogged by hundred like points, that, they won the next week. Yeah, a coach like a, a pagan or a Malthouse, you know, it's 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 not really it's a blip on the radar, really, that they coach Carlton. You know, they're they're not remembered as Carlton coaches. Um, but in in that regard, you know, like Knights could be seen to be taking on a job where he would likely fail again. Um, because do you give Matthew Knights five years if we win two of the next three wooden spoons? Mm. And I think you, whoever gets this job needs needs a bit of time. Having said that, we we may get the best player in the next. Yeah, um, it's 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 a quarter past eleven is recording this, and I don't. I haven't got the two hours to really stretch out my thoughts about <laughs> father son and academies and all that sort you of stuff. You don't want Melbourne. You do not want that. Well, I mean, if he's any good, I don't really want him running around for seventeen clubs. Um, get him that black and white jumper, and add a nice big splash of red. But yes, I understand. But um, Kobe Bryant didn't play for the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. Steph Curry doesn't play for the Charlotte Hornets, and they're fine. Um, and now I'm really going to work hard to stop myself. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of a political reference to introduce that. Don't worry, it's nothing terribly controversial. But in the late 80s, um, Paul Keating in his wonderful, t- colourful turn of phrase, um, when everyone was talking about the economy, once suggested that every pet shop in Australia has a resident galah who has an opinion about macroeconomic policy. Um <laughs> Having already gone down the road of perhaps suggesting one or both of us are resident galahs in a pet shop, how do you fix holding the ball? Oh, no, that's a question without notice. I don't, I don't really have an answer for how to. You, you know what? Like, I know what it looks like, but am I? <laughs> but am I? What I think holding the ball looks like is never paid holding the ball. I, I don't like. I don't like this uh, tendency for the the bloke who's second to the ball to lock that ball in and to work feverishly to lock the ball in. Those holding the balls getting paid more than the bloke who drops it, uh, the bloke who throws it. You know, like the rule has gone to hell. But well, I know what I want the optics of holding the ball to look like. Okay, so do you want? I think the AFL wants the ball to move, right? Yeah. I think most fans want to see tackles rewarded. Yeah. So I think that's that's where the that's where the, the tension is. 
between the two groups. Because the AFL thinks the ball keeps moving. And there was one today where in the tonight's game where Dangerfield dived on the ball, got up, and, and he's being sort of tackled the whole time. He's in an enclosed situation and then sort of just loses the ball behind him. And I'm just like, he's dived on it and he's being tackled. He didn't get rid of it correctly. That's holding the ball. Play on. Um, the other one that was interesting tonight was the one, I think this was also in the last quarter. I think the Dangerfield one was the last quarter, if my memory serves me correctly, was the Tom Jonas one with oh, Jeff Dalgleish. horrible. I was looking at it and I'm just like, yeah, I don't. I, it's not the it's not the worst decision I've ever seen for holding the ball because I think Jonas was had, had I think Jonas got tackled and just sort of were, when are you going to blow the whistle up so we can have a ball up and those ones I think are the ones where I'd like to see the umpires show some more cojones where it's just like you're just submitting. Now I don't know if the umpire was in the best spot to make the decision he did from the because I think he was on the other side uh, from the camera and the camera should have showed. Jonas sort of being tackled and sort of looking around, trying to see where the umpire was. So, you know, he's like, who do I give the ball back to at the end of this when, we, when he calls the ball up? But I, 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 I think there are things that they could work on and could emphasise um, where they could get rid of. But every time, you know, at one extreme, there seems to be the way things are at the moment. And the other stream, you've got someone like Grant Thomas who talk, who's talking about if anyone is caught with the ball, he's holding the ball. You tackle him, the ball stops, he's holding the ball. Because, you you know, you got caught holding the ball. And then, that way, that way the ball will just move. It'll just ping around. You know, Grant Thomas is anti-coach, which is hilarious. He thinks <laughs> pretty much all of the problems in today's games are caused by coaches deciding that the best way to win is to stop the other team scoring. By the way, it is. Um, and you know, the AFL is just going to say, if you, if you want the ball to move around, I mean, it's just like this. If what you want that to happen, then, then have the possession arrow every ball up. You just give the ball to the opposite, yeah, another team. You just take turns taking the ball. Same with out of bounds, the ball moved quickly then, but it's not fair. You're just eradicating all fairness from the game. What about getting rid of ball knocked loose in the tackle? Because I feel like that could be a player's not wanting to keep the ball when they get tackled. Um, but they're, you know, players that are, have held onto it for a really long time who have had prior opportunity and get tackled and just drop it like a potato. It's getting called knock loose in the tackle. And like some, some players make a play at the ball, but I feel like, again, the optics there are really obvious. If I the think player that... hits the ball, they haven't really tackled. If a player, if it comes loose in the tackle, it's holding the ball. I mean, I think I, I think you touch on one of the mistakes that a lot of fans make, and that is you actually still have to make a legal tackle to get holding the ball. You can't just push up against a bloke who then manages to miss his foot. You know. Oh, but, but anyway, yeah, I agree with that. I agree. But, you have to make a tackle, but if you make a tackle and the ball spills loose, but the player had prior opportunity, it's the same as holding the ball. It's a legal disposal. Yeah. We all know what it looks like if you smash the ball and if you don't really make a play at, at the player, but you make a play at the ball, that's yeah. coming loose in the tackle. But they call yeah. that 30 or 40 times a game in order to keep the ball moving. Should mm. be a free kick to the tackler. Mm. So, yeah, I, and I, I think, there, I think there, there, there is some misunderstanding. Of, the, the basis of the holding the ball rule is really simple and makes a lot of sense. 
as in the first, like the first two clauses. That is, if you don't have prior opportunity, you you just have to try to get rid of it legally. If you have had prior opportunity, you have to get rid of it legally. And then you encounter the first problem is there nowhere else in the AFL rules is prior opportunity defined. Yeah. But how do you define it? it? It's like what you said, prior opportunities, you know, when you see it, um, sometimes a bloke can take two steps and go to kick it and he sort of gets tackled and it's holding the ball. And other times a bloke can have it for like five or six seconds. Um, but not move very far because in a pack situation and then sort of like take the tackle and that's, that's a ball up or a player can pick the ball up immediately, try and break a tackle and successfully break a tackle, then walk into another tackle, but they sort of never had an opportunity to get rid of the ball while not being tackled. So it's not called prior opportunity. Um, and that one seems to, that one seems to be a commentator's and, and a pundit's favorite is like, we want to see people fend- trying to break tackles, and if you if you penalise people for breaking tack, trying to break tackles, they'll you'll take that out of the game, which is just rot. Dusty Martin doesn't care about the rules when he's trying to break a tackle. He's not worried no. about it. Mitch Robinson might have found the way to tackle him successfully a few weeks ago, which is jump up in the air and you know mount him like Roy Higgins on Think Big in 1974. I'm sure I've got all that reference wrong. <laughs> He went to do, he went to go to don't argue and Robinson's just jumped out of the air and tackled him from on high like he was jumping off a branch of a tree and it worked. It was fantastic, but I'd, it was I'd like to see I'd like to see Callum Brown try it because <laughs> <laughs> you'd a catapult to get him up there. Mitch, but also Mitch Robinson's about the just about the only bloke in the AFL who could just about match Dusty for strength. Like yeah. the reason he the fend off is so so impactful is that he's so strong. Like the Robinson, yeah. I mean, it was an incredible moment in footy, but it was just one of those great 1v1. But um, so I think taking on tacklers is your, I don't have a lot of sympathy. That's the one I hate is when a bloke tries to take on a tackler. And, you know, I might be a hypocrite. I once umpired a, a, a scratch match back at my amateur club at Elsterwick, and there was a bloke who was very good at breaking tackles. And he broke four tackles before getting rid of the ball once, and I didn't blow the whistle. Um, cause I knew he was breaking every tackle and we had a guy who will remain nameless, who was very, very famous at the club for arguing with umpires, um, to the point where he, you know, he got sent off, knocked cards out of their hands, you know, everything up, up to, you know, the, the line you don't cross. And, uh, I, you know, I sent him off once, you know, I'm, I'm from his club. Um, and he was like, Oh, kind of bleeping 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 why didn't you pay holding the ball i said no one tackled him successfully he was you know i could see he was going to break every tackle try tackling him this is a scratch match it's practice you're going to get good at it try tackling him properly so there's that there's the difference but there's the difference between you know obviously the problems with moving it on the ball i don't i don't necessarily know why they got rid of the the ruck rule with taking out of the ruck but then again there's a whole bunch of rules the AFL introduces and changes. I have no idea why they, why, I mean, I could, I could list them. Um, third man up rule. Why not just make sure, you know, why not just pay a free, free kick if two men go up from one team rather than. Yeah. Nominate. Yeah, rather than nominate. Oh, um, the deliberate rush behind. Just don't let the bloke who rushed it kick it in. That was the key to Hawthorne doing it in the 2008 grand final is the bloke who was rushing it behind was, 
always some incredible kick-in bloke who would just rush it and then immediately get a free possession where no one could be within 15 metres of him and suddenly they're 70 metres out from goal with the ball. If the, if the bloke who rushes it has to put in the square and have someone else pick it up, it slows the game down. No, no. Here's another thing the umpire has to adjudicate, that what's going on inside a bloke's head. Um, <laughs> they just make it too hard. And, I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to be critical of umpires on this, on this edition of the podcast. Um, but, you know, soccer went through this in the 90s where they simplified the rules so that referees would only call what they saw, not what they thought the player intent was. So if they see a foot in the air, they pay a free kick. They send blokes off. Because if they see it, I don't say, oh, were, you, were you trying to hurt him? Oh, no. Well, okay, then I won't send you off. They just call what they see. And I think there should be some work going on in the AFL um, to simplify the rules in a, in, a, in a way that makes the game easier to umpire. Um, Which leads us to a good discussion about the match review panel as well, where if we if we judge the action rather than um, the outcome, we'd, we'd probably uh, we'd clean that aspect of the game up as well. Yeah, I reckon. But you know, the the match review panel is just crisis management. It's just oh, what is what are they talking about on three hundred and sixty tonight? Let's fix that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just what it is. Um, anyway, you know. The, the dangerful thing in round one, are we, is anyone seriously suggesting that they had no case to answer for that? Yeah. Um, we, we know what's going on with blokes' heads. And, you know, it, it's probably not, it might not even be the reportable stuff that's causing this. But, but it's, it's a thing that rugby league has had this right for a long time. As in, bloke does a high shot, you know, it's like, ah, he have a couple of months. But if two blokes stand toe-to-toe and start trying to throw punches, they're like, well, this is fine because what's the worst you can do? You know? It's, yeah, you're both ready for it. Yeah. So they're just like, okay, this is fine. This is – it's not UFC. You guys don't know how to fight. We, we have enough, you know, rugby league stars go on into the ring and try and make a career out of it and fail spectacularly <laughs> evidence. You know, Anthony Mundine's the only one who's made a go of it at all, you know? So – I think they could take a, a leaf out of rugby league's book in that regard and just think about the potential for harm. Um, Bring back the biff. And then, you know, if you don't want to see blokes throwing punches because it's a bad look for the game, that's fine too. But don't don't grade them. You throw a punch, it connects, you get a wick. And it's just like, this is what it is. It's like, and you know, it's funny last week, I didn't want to talk about St Kilda, but last week's game... Uh, you know, an international incident was almost designated by Gary Lyon and Jonathan Brown when Max King went down, when Dane Rampey pushed him. Rampey admitted during the week when he got asked about it, he was just like, well, you know, I wasn't doing the right thing. I wasn't looking at the ball. I was just trying to get him out of the contest and, you know, I pushed him and we were nowhere near the ball. You know, I've got to be better than that. It's just like, there's, there's no incentive for King to stay on his feet there. Um, so go down, see what can happen. So there'll be an unpopular view amongst... AFL footballers, but sometimes you just have to look at the look at the act that's being penalised and think, well, what did you do that for? So yeah, how about how about don't do that? Um, <laughs> last one. I so said that, that's that's as much St Kilda as when I talk about. Other than you know, anyone who watched that game last week and didn't think Jack Higgins was the best player on the ground for St Kilda is 
got rocks in their head or just likes annoying St Kilda supporters. They are a troll. Oh, um, I agree. No, he was he was fantastic. And the trouble is that there's there's a St Kilda player with uh, you know a similar name most weeks. Kings Kings got the the yips this year, but it's like this. I think the Saints will figure this out. I don't really know. Was it was last year one other box for them too, or? You know, will they figure this out? Um, you know, bad kicking is bad football, um, but it can be rectified. It can. Um, I don't necessarily think we should have beat Sydney. We would, we kicked 12-7 and then kicked their last four scores were behinds. So mm. there's a bit of recency bias there. We were pretty accurate except for Higgins up until that point. The Geelong game we should have had on toast. Um, but it's sort of, we, we kicked very badly in the first quarter then Marshall went off. Um, funny thing that, um, I think St Kilda might be a better side if they had Marshall, Jones and Gresham running around. Just those three blokes. Um, yeah, but gee whiz, we can say that about just about every team in the league at the moment. Fair enough. I'm just going to I'm just gonna stew my juices that, you know, there's a reasonable chance we've seen the best of Jay Gresham. You know, mm. blokes no, don't not. just bounce back from ruptured Achilles. Mm. And I knew it. Susie did it. Susie did it. It's Achilles. There was no one near him. He's done his Achilles. That's it. You know, he's he's the one who's different to the rest of them. But anyway, um, you know who's different to the rest of them in the league at the moment? Cameron McDonald? <laughs> who's the that? Melbourne Football Club. Yeah, well... Is history the only reason why why people aren't picking him to win a premiership from here? Uh, yes. Like the history of the Melbourne Footy Club, do you mean? Because the yeah. history of the AFL suggests that they're not Monty's, but that they, they'd have to do incredibly well to stuff up making a grand final from here mm. um and they're burying like, the bulldogs would do them a huge favor if the bulldogs finish top the recent history of the afl suggests the one place you don't want to finish to win the premiership is first it doesn't happen anymore cameron well, i've been over this it's a it's a different season yeah it is and like uh, look I, i'm not buying it um but uh, you know some of those numbers things are, are ridiculous um but yeah, oh, look, the way they've put, you know, some serious competition to the sword in this last three or four weeks, uh, you know, I had my question marks um, because they're Melbourne, but uh, they've been put to bed. Um, they're playing awesome footy. They've done everything that could possibly be asked of them. Uh, it, there is nothing that that group could do for those through those first half of the season that they that that could convince anyone anymore that they that. There's no, there's nothing. It's yeah. we we're, we're just we're just we're just waiting for the jumper to work its magic at this stage. You know, Melbourne Melbourne supporters wouldn't call it magic, but we just we're just waiting for the inevitable to happen. And history dictates that eventually it will not happen. And a team like this will get the monkey off the back. They'll usually get it off in the most you know resounding way. You know, Geelong being Port Adelaide by 119 points that second half of the season from Richmond. Mm. Um, the Bulldogs is probably the outlier, but as I've mentioned on a previous podcast, the Bulldogs have won two premierships. They've never, ever, ever finished top of the ladder. Never. Mm. Um, I don't really see any weaknesses. There's, no, there's nothing to pick at we, with you... Melbourne, the way they're playing at the moment. They've got... I reckon. I reckon the best the 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 best midfielders in the competition at the moment. There's one in Melbourne and one at the Western Bulldogs, and that's that's the argument. 
at the moment. Yeah, but there's probably two of there's probably two of of the top five at um, in Oliver and Petraka, or unless you were saying the best midfields beyond the best midfielders, because um, Bont's obviously yeah. a standout of the dogs, but um, they've got. I'm saying Bont and Pelly and Oliver. Yeah, 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 but makes some phenomenal footy too. Um, but Oliver flying takes the pressure off. But um, Melbourne's back line is incredible, and it, it's the forward line. If if you're looking for a weakness, it's the forward line that should stand out. But Tom McDonald, this guy's going to end up having played two unbelievable seasons of footy, inexplicably, you know, three or four seasons apart. Like his his fortunes are so closely tied to Melbourne's, it seems. And we'll, um, and. No one will be any the wiser about which came first. The rest of the team playing better, so McDonald plays better, or McDonald plays better, so the rest of the team plays, so the team starts winning. You know, it's we don't know which one causes the other one. The narrative is the all meat diet, which I quite like. But, uh, <laughs> he's gone the he's gone the he's gone the bizarro siddle. Yeah, he's gone the all meat, all protein Atkins yeah. diet, and you know. But it's it's interesting because you you always had a bit to say about Melbourne. Um, when I, you know, and I have to apologize to them, but I, I, I was on their bandwagon pretty hard at the back end of 2018, had them as, you know, nigh on to favorites to, um, 2019, uh, you know, and thought after that abomination of a year that they would figure it out in 2020. And then I jumped off. I thought that they'd missed the eight this year. Um, so I have to apologize, but at no point did you get on the bandwagon really. Um, you thought that they had issues um, with class and issues with pace um, and that the guys that they were recruiting weren't really solving those problems. And so is that a matter of a an Ed Langdon and a Cozzy Pickett just uh, being better, quicker than you thought they could be? Or where has the improvement come from for you? Well, I mean, Ed Langdon obviously was better than advertised. Mm. Yeah, let's let's not beat around the bush. Um, He's he's exceptionally competent. Um, I mean that in the most warm possible sense. As in, you know, he's never going to give us. I don't. I don't think he's going to give us a moment like Jetta running away from Rioli in the 2012 Grand Final. Mm. Um, but you know, he is he is outstanding. Um, Pickett's a revelation, and I mean, it's hard to describe the Melbourne forward line is their weakness with that bloke running around with what yeah. he's doing. Mm. He's like he's like Aaron Davy on speed. Um, he's amazing. He's just all over the place. And you know, he's one of those guys who if if you've got the ball in your back line, you're just nervous. Um because you think he's gonna get you. Um mm. and then he's gonna finish. So nice touch to hear that he watches Cyril Rioli tapes before he runs out and plays every week. <laughs> Well, you know, um, I used to watch Rob, uh, Robert Klomp videos before I went out to play. Just <laughs> <laughs> thinking, who, who played your style of game? It was just like, no one. Um, um, Barney, but, Barney um, Rubble. Barney Rubble. Um, Barney Rubble's one of the, maybe the greatest AFL footballer of all time because it's Lee Matthews' original nickname. Peter Hudson gave it to him. Um, I'll take that. So, but yes, I mean they. I mean they have obviously McDonald play Tom McDonald playing how he is playing at the moment. But then underneath that, 
you know, they can throw any two or three blokes. Bailey Fritch um, yeah. is having an exceptional season. Again, reminding everyone how important it is to have a viable, game-changing, medium-sized marking forward. Mm. Um, but then they've got Luke Jackson. They've got Wiedemann, you know, who everyone's like, he's like the album. He's, you know, the music stopped and he hasn't got a seat. Um, plenty of clubs will be sniffing around him. Um, but, you know, he might, yeah, there might be an injury. He comes in around 19, plays in a flag. Yeah, and he's playing, important... playing now. Ben Brown can't, can't get a game ben, at the moment. Ben Brown can't get a game. Um, yeah. He's probably not going to get a game anytime soon. The important thing is, as a St Kilda supporter, I've gone through the five stages of grief already. <laughs> I've just decided if this is if this has to happen to bring us St Kilda, if we just have to if we have to get through Melbourne and then Fremantle and then and then Gold Coast and GWS, <laughs> you know, if we just have to get through everyone before we get to our, our turn, let's just get it over and done with. So let's let's not let's just stop putting on the envelope. You know, I've gone through the the denial and the you know the bartering and all that sort of thing, and I've reached reluctant acceptance. So it has to be Melbourne this year. You know, grand final day won't be fun. Um, you know, as as if that happens, but you know, in the end, you know, and I've been through this as a St Kilda supporter, you know, a couple of times in particular. Two thousand eight, when you know we met, we we sort of fell into a prelim, and then you know Robert Harvey retired, and then the next week Shane Crawford played a premiership. And I just remember looking at it, I just wish it was Robert Harvey, um, yeah. and then. When the Bulldogs thing happened, which was this, uh, you know, hopefully, I mean, I've, I've seen, I had never, no one had ever seen the Bulldogs in a grand final, let alone win one. But we've seen Melbourne in grand finals in our lifetime, and they've both times in our lifetime they've come up against these enormous juggernauts and just had their backsides handed to them. So it might be different if they're sort of more of an overdog going into a grand final. Um, but when the Bulldogs made the grand final, you know, the, the preliminary final was, you know. One of the most enjoyable games I've ever watched. One of the best games of football, but also you know the the emotion that came out of the game was just hard to not to get swept up, swept up in it. And then the story I I think I tweeted this at the time on the Monday. I was working in Melbourne on the Monday. I saw a, at lunchtime on the Monday of Grand Final week, so Brownlow Middle Day, um, a bloke walking around in a full Bulldogs outfit. He had the jumper and the shorts and the socks with sort of like the training stretchy pants underneath and it was obvious that he that that's just what he had worn to work that day yeah because they were in a grand final just like okay this is gonna be a fun week um <laughs> so that was great but then you know and I, I wrote an article for this on on saints blog um it's just like once you know we, i think the entire article was blue monday after 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 the bulldogs had won that premiership it was just i was just like no nah, i just wish it was us so and you know Melbourne supporters are probably the the one long-suffering group of fans. They're unique in so much as they probably never got past the 10-minute mark of a grand final in their lifetimes and thought, we might be a show today. So, you know, they, you know they, they've gone to halftime in those two grand finals and just like, you know, what are we doing for dinner? You know, what, what, what's next? This is over. Um, you know, I wouldn't wish... I wouldn't wish the the 09 2010 experience on anyone. Mm. So um, it will be interesting to see what sort of what what the reaction is in the town um, if there is a proper Melbourne juggernaut 
Um, I don't think it'd be a great shame. It'd be a great shame for Melbourne supporters um, if it wasn't as normal as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. in in all seriousness, and you know, I, you know, I came out probably about five or six weeks out before the end of last season, and I was just like, I don't really want to win it in these circumstances. I want the same experience everyone else had. I want, you know, I'm, you know, I don't necessarily want, you know, Geelong beating Port Adelaide by 119 points, but I want to be in, in the MCG with a hundred thousand people, and they lift the cup and they do the lap of honour, and you're there, and Sort of anything else is like, yeah. My soccer team won the Premier League for the first time in thirty years. They still haven't had their parade, <laughs> so <laughs> and it's yeah. That was last year. There's been another season since then. So mm. you know, if a if a if a trophy is won in the forest and there's no one around to celebrate it, does it make a sound? So you know, it's, it's, I don't hold any grudge to Melbourne supporters. I I, I I'd know three of them, um, <laughs> but. They, you know, they they're long suffering like I am, I, and and I think you know, they'll take whatever they can get. Yeah, uh, honestly, I think they'll take whatever they can get. But I think yes, I, absolutely, fingers I'd be, crossed. I'd be sorry for them if it happened and it just wasn't as it has been in the past. You know, we had the benefit of a you know a, a supporter group winning it last year who had who had experience. They weren't missing out on anything. Last year, the Richmond supporters, because they had experienced it two times in the last three years. But I've, 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 it will not come as a surprise. And I've, I've gone through the five stages of grief, and we, I will move on <laughs> because there's, you know, there's really no other alternative if Melbourne win the premiership. But there's, there's nothing that they've done this year to make you think that they can't and they won't. It's other stuff is the reason why we doubt them. Yeah, and I'm 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 starting to lose all of that too. There's a there's a real nice resolve to the group. They're not over celebrating either. So I think they seem very very fun. And um, you know, Max Gorn's the other the player that we haven't really mentioned in all of this. Um, who's about as well loved as anybody. It'd be impossible not to attach this flag to his his face forever. He's just a good guy. I'd I'd be quite happy if Max got himself a premiership medallion. I want it just for the absolute high comedy of Goodwin and Gorn standing next to each other and <laughs> yeah. Gorn lifting up the cup and Goldwood not be, Goodwin not being able to hold it anymore because it was out of his reach. Um, yeah. Or the 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 slight chance that Max Gorn might do it with a durry hanging out of his mouth because he might be like, well, I want a premiership now. I can get back on the gaspers. Um, <laughs> It'd be nice for Goodwin. Coming into this year, you you know you probably thought that Goodwin was one of the coaches under the most pressure, um, with an underperforming high quality list as far as outsiders were concerned. Um, but but maybe with no pressure on them, and and finding a little bit in the in the early in the early parts of the season, you know it'd be it'd be really nice for Goodwin to um, get himself a flag. Well, I'm happy you feel that way. Simon Goodwin played the 1997 Grand Final team for Adelaide against St Kilda, so um, I don't characterise him as a long-suffering Melbourne supporter. So um, if he gets what's coming to him, I'm fine with that. Um, on that note, we 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 the, the the I'm about to turn into a pumpkin literally because it is almost that time of the night. So we got this in. We will. What we should probably do is try and get this in another Thursday night after a game before the AFL folds up their tents and 
you know, Christmas morning, Thursday night football is gone. So um, until then, thanks for joining me, Cameron. Good on you, Pana. And uh, we will catch you all next time on the podcast. It should go without saying.